Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to another podcast here on Trechnobabble. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And today we are going to podcast the Season 1 episode of Voyager entitled State of Flux. Um, you know, the title had me thinking it was another Anomaly of the Week sort of episode. Uh, you know, with Flux and... What, what was the one titled? Uh, Parallax. Yeah, you know anything with an X, X in it. In it makes, yeah, makes me think it's... when you meant when you suggested this episode, I was thinking of the one with like the distorting ring that like yeah. warps the ship corridors. Yeah, and I was like, that's not it. So yeah, so I get, I get. Well, I, I thought the same thing that we had hit in the anomaly of the week episode. But there's a lot to like about this episode, and I'm I'll be happy to discuss it. And uh, if nothing else, as soon as Martha Hackett gets on screen, I'll I'll start singing her praises. So. Yeah. Well, so, you know, just a little matter of preface, you know, this is the second Kazon episode in Voyager. Uh, we've had sort of a blissful Kazon-free period in season one, um, in which actually the show has been really, really strong. So, you know, if you're going to start wondering, gee, why the heck, uh, you know, do people bag on Voyager so much? Um, I, I'm not one of the Voyager haters, but I, I have you know, a pretty strong dislike for Kazan episodes as a rule. Um, and it's because I think they're, well, sort of lame, you know, like, uh, and, we, you know, we talked about it in Caretaker, you know, like, they're just not very credible as a threat, you know, they're just kind of annoying. And it seems like the stories try to take pains to make them credible, but the very setup sort of uh, obviates that. They don't have a, water, apparently. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... It's like, you know, if they're so desperate, like, how how much could they really be threatening Voyager at this point? And then it it always just runs the risk of uh, diminishing the hero characters to have the Kazon continue to be such a threat, you know? Uh, so that that was my sort of beef with the Kazon, um, you know. We'll, you know, let's start the episode and we can, we can see if that's an issue. Uh, I guess the other thing, well... Let's not spoil it. <laughs> the other thing is the uh, story idea that there is a uh, spy or a saboteur on board, you know, which I think that's pretty interesting. I, you know, I think that was a wise editorial direction to go in. You know, you've got these two crews who don't mesh particularly well or something, although, of course, we haven't seen any of that in the past four episodes. Um, you know, like it, it's just it's a good dramatic story idea to say, ah, what if there is such a level of dissent that, you know, there would be actual, you know, open... Yeah, yeah. So, uh, let's let's start the episode. All right. Um, we're all queued up here, so we can all press play on our various media. In three, two, one, press play. And so we open in Bronson Canyon, a uh, well-worn Star Trek location, um, I've never disliked it. It's never no. bugged me. And they, they found a particularly uh, vegetated spot. It's not, it's not the rocks. And actually, this is a pretty decent Neelix moment. Yeah. Um, you know, Joe Carey has found some poisonous apples. Um, it's pretty good that Carey did not take his first bite. Yeah, because uh, apparently would have killed him. Well, and so, like, Ethan Phillips... You know, the Neelix lines are a bit annoying, 
but they're not over the edge for me. Like right. This is inside, well, cuz the the joke is the joke, the joke is not Neelix and that's what salvages this. I like this scene cuz they they have it well populated with extras and I like that uh, they like TNG have a stable of recurring characters which particularly makes sense if you're never going to get new people. Like yeah. the if the interior story is the 100 or so people are the only people here, you can't have a different helmsman literally every week. Yeah. So, so current well, characters like Joe Carey make me happy. Yeah. Um, this is the introduction of Leola Root, which is going to be mentioned many, many times again. Um, they must get a, a huge supply of Leola Root uh, from this planet, because presumably it doesn't grow on every planet. Um, you know, it, it's, it's little touches like that that kind of please me. Um, yeah. I mean, they don't they don't make great episodes, but they create a nice backdrop. So we're back on the ship. Paris is seeing a reflection. Do you think Tuvok's wearing a piece? You mean like a hairpiece? Yeah. I think so, because there are later episodes where I think Tim Russ's hairline is just farther back than that. Um, and I'm not Maybe sure... Maybe they just painted him in or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, more jokes about Neelix's cooking. I love the ubiquitous uh, Starfleet uh, barrel. Like the, I think that's the that might be the very barrel that crushed Worf's spinal column. Oh, very like. Uh, I don't think it's that barrel. I think that's the barrel that was uh, oh, for in, radioactive in disaster, material. Yeah, in disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't quite like this scene because given okay, they don't have replicators or transporters, but they do have an actual cloak that wasn't just them. Like the standard hiding in the planet's magnetosphere, yeah. blah blah they blah. They were actually invisible. Yeah. So that that seems an oddly disparate um, technological imbalance. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So, Seska is picking berries nearby, and you know, I guess this is supposed to be your first clue that you know something might be amiss. Yeah, you know, this is a nice location. Um, I wonder how close this is to, like, a 7-Eleven or something. Because, like, you know, you always, I, I was watching or listening to commentary on Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. and they were talking about how, oh, yeah, this was shot in a parking lot, and this was shot, you know. So I'm always curious how close some of these things are to, like, a road. Like was right, this the Batcave? This might have been the Batcave. Or the, yeah, there's there's like a like if you turn the camera, there's a field house and a little league team playing a game like right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, was this That's an actual cave? cave? This, this, this is a real cave. Yeah, this is a real. Okay, this has got to be a real cave. Yeah, these are called the Bronson Caves, in Bronson Canyon. Yeah, there's no way they could dress a cave that well. Yeah, I mean there's water With dripping. The, yeah, the dripping and yeah. Like maybe some of these rocks they moved them in. And set up in, in every cave I see, I point this out. Where's the light coming from? Yeah. There's, 
Well, there's clearly a spotlight just behind that yeah. stalagmite. Thank the prophets. She's been doing her homework, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't want to spoil it for you, folks. Yeah, they don't have water, but they have energy weapons. I mean, okay, look. Here's the thing about the Kazon. Apparently, you know, it was supposed to be this, like, very loose band of rival gangs, okay? So maybe it was only the gang, the Kazon Ogla, who were the Kazon Ogla. You know, the Kazon Ogla who didn't have water, okay? And maybe it was only that particular, like, two or three planetary system region or something that neelix happened to be in you know what i'm saying so i don't know because the way neelix talked about it it seemed like like he was flabbergasted by a bath it seemed like this was a like i understand the idea that this was just a less fertile arm of the galaxy and that's fine that's an interesting idea but you have to do it for a resource that's not necessary for any life let alone a spacefaring species if it were we don't have many we don't have much to lithium here warp travel is a luxury not a basic of life that would be more interesting yeah. and more credible i think yeah i mean you know in caretaker i suppose they just wanted to establish that voyager was technologically superior in many ways yeah um, you know and you're right. They probably could have picked a better way of doing it. Well, I mean, like the the you know not this you know I don't care about spoiling the plot. The show's you know ten years old. Um, it's like they the technology being stolen is a replicator. How do you maintain a spacefaring fleet without a replicator? Things break on Voyager all the time. Their firework cupboards on the bridge explode like once a week. It just seems like, without having basic replicator technology, I question you having the industrial base necessary to maintain a starship, even if you stole it. You still have to make it work. Well, it's too bad it wasn't written now. They could talk about, like, 3D printing or something. Oh, yeah. Anyway, back to the episode. Captain's Log. Apparently that was one of the longest teasers in the series, by the way. Hmm. Well, so here's Chakotay doing Indian stuff again. I th there's something... <laughs> you wouldn't have a character of French descent. Like, Picard was never baking croissants in his quarters. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we, we, there, there's this through line for Native American characters where they have to... In order to be credibly portrayed as Native American, they must engage in, like, overt, unmodified ancient forms of cultural practices and i've never quite it almost always pulls me out of the moment it feels like i'm being reminded oh he's a native american i'm like yeah i know i know well in in voyager's defense i don't think they lean too heavily it's not like every episode right you know so i can imagine someone doing a cultural thing every month or so yeah yeah so uh this is sort of introducing the Seska Chakotay thing, okay? You know, and Martha Hackett said, you know, she wished she had been told earlier that there was going to be a prior relationship because she would have played some of her other scenes differently in yeah. previous episodes. I remember thinking, like this, like these scenes here, didn't quite 
play out because I, I just don't know if is it maybe it's the actresses don't have chemistry or it fell out of nowhere. Well, here, look, I'm not a Robert Beltran hater. I actually kind of like him, but he doesn't seem to have chemistry with a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know? I will not disagree with that theory. A uh, little production note. I love the soup here. That looks like real soup. And yeah. sometimes yeah. they really whiff on, on food textures, especially for allegedly human foods. That looks like someone just poured a can of um, you know, Campbell's soup into a pot. And I, I appreciate that detail. Well, I like the bowl. I like the feature spoons, too. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if they're from Ikea. I don't know if Ikea was in the States in 95. Yeah. So they've got Chicote's quarters lit with this, like, red thing, which is interesting. And, whoa, hello. Yeah, this felt too much too fast for what they'd done before. I mean... It's clear that, like, they're maybe on again, off again. Yeah. You know? And as far as he's concerned, they're off again a bit. Yeah. Um, because he, he feels it necessary to yeah. be in his role in a way that this would not fit. Yeah, they agreed a long time ago. It wouldn't work. You know, I, I have to agree with you. Martha Hackett's really playing the hell out of this. Yeah, she's selling it. Like, like and I believe, based on what I, the, the sort of, ruthless practicality that even as a Bajoran Seska uh, evoked, she's a, she's a woman who could be like, no, 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 we can have casual sex. That is a thing I'm capable of having. Um, yeah. I completely buy that for her. <laughs> well, just this whole scene with her, you know, she was selling, eating the soup and finding yeah. it delicious. She was selling and, and, and enjoying the little scheme and yeah. So here's Maj Kulla. Now, is that Maj Kulla? That's not him yet, because he's not on the ship. He arrives afterward. No, I thought it was. What? Okay, this is something you pointed out in a previous episode, and I agree. Why doesn't Janeway already know that? Yeah. Um... Like, at some point, wouldn't you just sit Neelix down and be like, here's a pad... Here's a, a little future pen. Write down everything you know in alphabetical order. Yeah. Well, they, they just, you know, they don't seem to debrief him very much. And so, you know, I, I think this is treading on what I was talking about earlier. You know, it's like the crew, the crew of Voyager having to be dumb to make the Kazon a threat. Yeah. I mean, they're doing okay with it. You know, we'll act with caution, but this may be an opportunity to make a friend. You know, uh, maybe Neelix should be more strenuous. Maybe uh, Janeway should be a little less credulous. You know, it's just, it's just getting close. Yeah. It's getting a little close to that line for me. So what what set do you think this was? This, this kind of like, looks like it was in the, uh, yeah, the, the uh, power plant area. Yeah, yeah. It looks or like not the, the power plant, but the, the bombed out, you know. Like courtyard, yeah. In what's it called? Uh, Parallax. Think, no, Time and Again. Time and Again. I got to say, one of my favorite games that we've developed at Trekno Babel is playing Guess What This Used to Be. I found yeah. it incredibly satisfying. 
Uh, that's really well done. The dude, the, the people in the wall was pretty well achieved. Yeah. I really thought, when I first saw this, I assumed it was a transporter accident, not a replicator accident. I really want to know how, it's kind of like how the holodeck's always trying to kill you. Would you want a box that could do that in your home making your food? I'm just saying. I think it makes more sense that they were trying to steal transporter technology because I can also find it far, far more credible that a species could have replicators but not transporters, that the science is sufficiently different and more complicated, and that would be fine. Like, the lack of replicators actually bothers me. Yeah, I agree with that. You know what else bothers me about the Kazon while we're just listing things? The uniforms. Because those are uniforms. The sashes are all the same color. They're the same size. They're tied the same way. Like, for being a disparate gang, they have very uniform clothing. Well, I mean, this is one particular sect, I guess. You know? But so... all the sects. Because there's a later episode when uh, it's uh, when Kala kills the other Kazon dude with the transporter. Like yeah. It's like the same Kazon outfit, but the little, like, tartan is a different color, and that's how Neelix identifies him. Like, it's a very uniform look for what's supposed to be street gangs. I understand there should be like a color or like an armband that they all wear to identify themselves. That makes sense. But the just day-to-day clothing looks very similar and it just seems like that was the wrong choice to go for the disparate gang members. Well, I mean, I think if anything, I, I agree with you that too much, too many of the Kazon look too similar. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying they should be wearing, like, Philadelphia Phillies hats or something. Yeah. But, you know, they should have done something to make it much more obvious that this is Sect X and this is Sect Y, you know? Like, have all of them in purple and then all the rest of them in, you know, yellow or, you know, like, something. Instead, it's just all this sort of 90s knitwear. Like, they look like they're slackers from Seattle or something and they're going to bust out a hacky sack at any moment. Uh, I swear to God, if, they, if, if, if Voyager arrived in Portlandia, that would actually make my life. So the mystery uh, is being built here. They've found Federation technology on the ship. And I like, you know... Tuvok's, uh, you know, three possibilities here. It's not right. a Federation technology. Another Federation starship has been brought to the Delta Quadrant, which turns out to be true, actually. Right. Uh, just not in terms of this story. Three. Someone from this ship has covertly given technology to the Kazon. And that's dramatic enough to stop this ride before I get off. You know? Every time I'm on an elevator, want to stop it so i can have a conversation it's, it's like one of my goals in life to be able to be like hold and then have a conversation and then resume <laughs> <laughs> then you get picked up by the cops when you walk out the door i mean <laughs> what was the introduction of this trope this must have been in tng i don't remember them doing that in TOS. Yeah, TOS. yeah. it's got to be TNG, and it was, I believe it was in, in Wrath of Khan. Um, she holds the turbo lift, uh, Kirstie Alley does, when she's talking to Kirk about uh, the Kobayashi Maru, because then McCoy's like, who's holding up the damn elevator? Oh, uh, yeah. That's where, it, that had to be where it started. 
I wonder if they were consciously referencing <laughs> that. So, you know, like, they're doing a pretty decent job of working in the, the Maquis angle. Yeah, I, I think Janeway's a little too incredulous that someone could betray them. Like, she has to be aware that, especially given the events of uh, Prime Factors last week, that both Starfleet and Maquis officers are so dedicated to getting home that they are apparently willing to break the rules. It shouldn't surprise her so much just to contemplate the idea that someone would betray them to the Kazon for their own benefit. This is a nice Okudogram. That is a really, yeah, that is good. <laughs> this is a good joke. Yeah. When I say tomorrow, I mean tomorrow. I don't exaggerate. Like, I mean, you know, as a fan that they're referencing Scotty. Right. That she, you start wondering, like, oh, is that a normal thing for engineers to do? Right, to give themselves a buffer. Um, but it's a good joke, and it's really well delivered. It, it is. By, by Roxanne Biggs Dawson. And it's a good moment for, Jay, and, you know, it serves this, the sort of eventual story of the show, that I, I think it's a, it's a good moment for Janeway and uh, Torres, where it's like, oh, okay, that's, like, you've laid down your, like, how you work, and I will respect that. That's, that's an, actually a nice moment. I, this is a nice scene. You know, there's some concern about you. And so, because the actress is playing it well, if you don't know the eventual spoiler yeah. that she's the traitor, right. um, you know, you could you could read it both ways. Right. It's either a good act. It's either real or looks so real that it's because it's a good act. Yeah. You know, she's she's coming off as someone who's worried about her reputation, yeah. not necessarily as guilty. Right. And it's good. It's good sort of relationship drama. Yeah. You know, like he's actually showing a little tenderness after having rebuffed her, and right. she's like, "F you, dude." It's kind of strange that you know she's showing up here. I think that's when I started to consider that uh, she was actually guilty. It's quite a blankie he's wearing. Yeah, that that came right out of someone's TNG quarters with their sparkly, shiny pillows. That may well be bedding from TNG. Ah, did you ever come in to leave a blood sample on file? And she's playing this well. Like, she's trying to tamp down any involuntary nervous response. Right. So I gotta say, I'm, I'm kind of with you on the uh, Martha Hackett bandwagon. Like, she she's able to play a lot of layers. Oh, yeah. And, like, even as, like, the Romulan in uh, Deep Space Nine, I, I loved her then. These scenes are being staged... Like they're still in the turbo lift, you know? Yeah. Like, why are they standing so close together? It's a big room. 
Like, I hope they didn't need any Leola roots, too, right before this meeting. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, something I really like about Martha Hackett's acting ability is, you know, you just if you just look at the actress, you could see her getting cast as, like, and like you know, I don't know, like like the 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 angry person in the room, like like her character is the Romulan. Like I think she, like in Hollywood where everyone's a type and we have to pigeonhole you, I don't think she would get cast in roles that required more than being assertive or abrasive. And I like that she really man, she really steps beyond that and really gives the character depth. Well, and so that kind of you know brings up the question of you know. Did they waste the character and or the actress in making this choice for yeah. her? Um, so now she's over there on her own. Um, which, I mean, as a viewer, you must really be questioning her at this point. Right. But, you know, she's going to say that she's trying to prove her innocence. Yeah, and Tuvok is... Kind of pointing that out for us, thank you. She's manipulating subspace. That was a pretty good scream. That, that was on the on part of Wilhelm's scream right Thank God they moved that other dude already. Yeah. Man, they must have been done with him. Oh, full blood scan. Uh-oh. I mean, how long are we to, to take it that they've been on the ship at this point? You know, three or four months? Yeah. It is rather odd that, you know, they wouldn't just mandatorily right, right. send all crew members to sickbay get their initial physical i thought the makeup job on the burns wasn't very good it just looked like she got a sunburn yeah basically which you know that is a radiation burn but yeah. a blister would not have gone amiss i like the way uh i think his name is jo yeah josh clark yeah he's like you know um <laughs> am i in trouble yeah He's definitely playing it well. well. And I think it's kind of the same thing as with Seska. It's like you can read this one of two ways. He's either squirming because he's a professional man who's getting a talking to by his boss's boss's boss, and that's making him nervous, or he's trying to hide something. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I was reading the director, um, you know, really strived to create this kind of tension and this sort of mystery like it's yeah. a mystery story yeah and i think you... this the script should have done a little more to make carrie a credible alternative because all all they have is that um he might be pissed about not being made chief engineer i would have liked one more additional scene that would have cast real doubt yeah. on on him because i don't think we ever quite got that i agree with that um but as far as this episode goes, you know, like I think no, it's he, being structured and the the tone, like the director is getting what he needs out of the actors. Yeah. To 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 really have mystery. 
Yeah, I agree. Well, and so, you know, he's like, you know, trying to finger her, saying, you know, oh, well, she was in the caves. Which, you know, makes him sort of look like a douchey snitch or something. Right. I would be intimidated if Catherine Janeway were glaring at me like that. Yeah, she's got, she, she has a, you know, it's not surprising that Kate Mulgrew went on to do a one-woman show about Catherine Hepburn because she has that same, you know, just acid stare. It's just, it's, it's, it's pretty powerful. Well, if, if you've watched Orange is the New Black, her character Red uh, definitely can use this sort of stare to great effect. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a good scene. Yeah. Um, you know, Janeway wants to trust the Starfleet officer. Right, totally, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> she's right. She's right. You know, these people are brigands. They're, yeah. they're revolutionaries. You know, they're a motley collection of criminals and uh, terrorists and disaffected right. types. All right, so here's Mashkala. And, uh, you know, we're going to see him several times in future episodes. Yeah, I like him well enough. I just, I don't care about the character at all. Not a tiny, tiny bit. Uh, but the actor commits. I just want to point out uh, Robert Duncan McNeil. <laughs> He's going to do that like 50 times. You know, for the rest of the series, you oh, know, someone will say something on the view screen, and he'll turn around and go, "Ah, oh, what a charming fellow, ah, oh, friendly sort." You know, that's just like his thing. Okay, sorry. I no, okay. I, no, I was just saying, like, I got the impression they were trying to set him up as like the Kazan Ducat, where you know, like, and it didn't work just because the Kazan aren't interesting enough to do that. Yeah. Well, it's. The, the reason you could do it, like, let's say that this guy is every bit the actor that Mark Alimo is, you know, and I don't know if that's the case. Uh, nothing against Anthony DeLongas, but, you know, he's no uh, Mark Alimo. Anyway, the reason you can do that with Ducat is that you've already set up this, you know, long-standing relationship between the Cardassians and the Bajorans, you know. Right. And so when he delivers lines, they drip with sort of import. You know, it's like, you know, I don't know everything about the situation, but I know there's a lot of water under the bridge. And so yeah. when he says something, it's kind of like a former slave master saying something to a former slave, you know? Yeah. Whereas the Kazan, it, it's whole cloth, you know, it's yeah. totally new. And so it doesn't, I, I agree with you. It's like in, in some ways it kind of doesn't matter. You know, and of course, you have to be able to introduce villains at any given time. You know, in, in a in a, in a story. You know, and so you just need to make an effort to I don't know to to create that sort of thing. You know, I mean, of course, the Cardassians were created out of whole cloth, and so were the Bajorans. You know, so why was that successful and the Kazan were not successful? Uh, 
I would say, oh, God, this is a tough question. Um, I think the Cardassians were just initially presented as a more complicated people. Like there was more to them. Like being a gang is a fairly two-dimensional. It, 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 it's a, what's, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is, but it's, it's kind of narratively thin to be a gang member. You know, it's like there's just not a lot there. You're 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 violent and greedy. Those are your defining characteristics, and you don't really have more qualities because that would make you a civilization, not a gang. You know what I mean? Like the you the the setup for the Cardassians and the Bajorans comes prepackaged with more options. Like if if nothing else, you can have a thoughtful like you can have the Cardassian from Lower Decks or the you know the Admiral from. Ensign Rowe, like, the nature of those people allowed for good and evil people on both sides of the conflict, the Kazon can pretty much just be evil. And not even, like, interesting, grandly evil in some fascinating, like the Vidians, where their evil has, like, some meat on the bone. This is just venal, and that's just, that's, especially to a Star Trek fan, that's boring, like they're bullies, and we watch Star Trek to get away from bullies. <laughs> yeah. So we just got a continuity reference to Cardassians who have been altered to uh, infiltrate other societies. Um, you know, in some ways, it might have been more interesting if she had not been guilty. You but know. just but also been a Cardassian spy. Yeah, yeah. Like that would be interesting. Oh, go, oh, god! Oh, I'm tingling thinking about that. That would have been great. I mean, it means you'd have to get rid of you know Joe Carey, but yeah, hey, <laughs> they're gonna kill him off in season yeah. seven. Anyway. Oh god, that that would, oh hated that. I I love those uh, little like they I think TNG uses them as it's, it's the same thing the transporter buffer things those little pylons those those got a lot of work out whatever prop guy did those earned his paycheck that day yeah that's uh, transport enhancers and I don't like you Cole. I'll respond with all the unique technologies at my command. Hang up. I, I guess one of the things I always liked about Kate Mulgrew's performance was I think she had a, a really good handle, at, at least as, uh, unless there's any examples in the writing that I'm forgetting, but like her approach to the force and the threat of force was usually pitched pretty perfectly. Like I, I never really had a complaint like so sometimes I think we could lay at the feet of Avery Brooks uh, a little a little overacting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't a think bit. Just, a just a bit. Just a tiny bit. Just a tiny bit. Um, but I don't think you ever have that problem with Janeway. I think she always manages to make her threats ominous and meaningful but not gratuitous. And, you know, well done. And, and again, you know, it's it's gonna be I think the first female captain to anchor a series, I think there's a lot of work there for does the threat come off as impotent or shrill or over? Like, is she trying too hard to uh, lean on physical force? Like, and I think Mulgrew really does a thoughtful job with those kinds of issues. 
uh, you know, I'm kind of mystified as to how and when they could actually smuggle actual physical objects. Like, a ner- a, like the, the gel pack, yeah. I, I would have, was it supposed to be when, is, is that what we're supposed to believe, that the exchange was what Seth was doing in the cave shortly? The- I, I don't feel like that can be the case, because yeah, I feel the, like... The, the stress call happened pretty quickly after that. Yeah, yeah. She looks good with her hair down, actually. She does. So it softens her features. That, that, that was a pretty severe bun. It was like a steering wheel back there. Yeah. And so you can see with this scene why it was important that they, uh, you know, establish this Chicote Suska thing. Abortive relationship, yeah. Well, and I think it works. You know, I, I think on on the whole it works. I think Robert Beltran played it pretty well. You know, he definitely seems wounded, and you know, Martha Hackett is being Martha Hackett. And of course, we have the dramatic irony that we know that he knows, but she doesn't know that he knows. Right. And her reaction is pretty good. Yeah, she's she's <laughs> actress and the character are good actresses. Well, and so the fun. You know, is seeing when she switches. Yeah, it's it's like it, there's a great parody of uh, all the Hercule Poirot mysteries when you accuse the person with, you know, your I found this button and therefore you're the murderer, and then they suddenly get evil, sexy voice that they never had before. It's like yeah, that veil dropped real quick, didn't it? <laughs> She's got a pretty decent story, you know. She yeah, had disease as a kid. She got a transplant. Oh, uh, yeah, bone marrow transfusion. Yeah. Like, as a viewer, you're kind of like, oh, just give her a hug, kiss her. She seems really hurt. Yeah. Yeah, like, it, it's... It's fun to try to rewatch this episode as I watched it the first time because, like, you know, knowing what we know... But, you know, first time through, this is muddled. It's, it's not clear who's been up to what. So we're at 35 minutes. And in terms of the story, what's actually happening here is that Chakotay is baiting her, you know, with the knowledge that, you know, they're they're looking at thing X to find yeah. evidence Y. It's a good and it's a good performance by Beltron. I am, I wouldn't say I'm a Beltron hater. I do think you could. 
the moment in season three or four where he really obviously checks out a bit. Yeah. Um, but that's a good scene. That that is that is that is a good acting job to portray. To to you know the character has to know more than he is giving off. Like all of the who knows who knows what. That's well done. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I was thinking about. It. I always thought Beltron was like what would have happened to Tasha Yar had she stuck around and continued to feel the same way about the script she was getting. Like. I think there's a clear point where he feels he wasn't getting the development or the interest that he should, and he kind of responded by checking out. And I, I wonder if that's what it would have happened to Denise Crosby in, in, as Tasha if, you know, things hadn't changed. I gotta say, I just enjoy the idea of Tuvok and Chakotay playing Jin in <laughs> engineering. Yeah. Like, there's nothing better they could be doing. Why can't the computer just notify them? I'm guessing time is of the essence. I've always kind of been mystified by the Elkar's interface. Well, it's one of those things that looks pretty, but how does it work? How do you actually yeah. do things? Well, it, it always just seems like they're pressing the same four or five buttons. And you wonder if, like, the buttons are changing each time? Well, I mean, like, on your smartphone, that would be the case. There's a handful of buttons that contextually change in what they do, but still. It's it's prettier than it is functional, particularly the hyper-thin text. Anytime I've seen, like, a website or, um, like, a computer game try to model itself on L-Cars, if they use the actual L-Cars font, it is flatly unreadable. Yeah. So... This is actually, it turns out to be very Cardassian here. You know, Seska is using her own code <laughs> to implicate Carrie for trying to implicate Seska. You know, that's that's a very, you know, oh, yeah. elaborate Cardassian yeah. piece. Oh, yeah, of that's Obsidian Order all the way. <laughs> ah, the reveal. You did. See, I would have liked to have seen the same conversation with Carrie. I think it would have helped maintain the sense of it could be either one of them. You knew no one would believe he could be that careless. You wanted us to believe someone else was trying to frame him. Ah, here's the rub. They traced it to... Sick bay. This always reminded me of the scene in Star Trek VI with uh, Valeris. It's like, the night's coming on in sick bay. Now it's dramatic. He doesn't say, please You're state right. the nature of the medical emergency. Drama circuit. Ah, so her explanation. (laughs) 
Oh, doctor, you're so well informed. He was programmed with a serious amount of snottiness. See, I and I like it, the acknowledgement. Just being the Cardassian spy is not the proof that you are the traitor. The transition is very good. It happens. It does. It's not a. It's not like a. It's not like a glass breaking or the curtain dropping. It's like. It's like it happens over the course of the sentence, and it finally hits when she says "Federation Captain." It's. It's. It's a very good performance. Yeah, I feel like it was. There were little things happening on her face yeah. when the doctor was talking. Yeah. Uh, there's something about the. I wonder if she sat down with an actor who had done Cardassian makeup, but. Do you see the way her she's like holding her face? Like her eyes are bigger. It's like it's almost like you can see like her she's the carriage of her face is that of a person wearing Cardassian prosthetics. Like just the the way her eyes are like wide open and the everything above her nose is like locked. That that it just she looks more Cardassian in just yeah. the way she's moving her mouth. Well, I love the line. You know, if this had been a Cardassian ship, we would be home by now. Yeah. Oh, see, now that just hurts. Now... Was there a Kazon ship only 14 kilometers? Were they unshielded? Like, well, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, well, didn't they all... No, no, after Kala um, backed down, he, they hovered. They didn't leave, I think. All right. So, you know, I've never liked the whole, you know, villain programs, a bunch of escape right. stuff. It's like, is nobody really paying that much attention? Like... <laughs> seems like a computer that's capable of becoming sentient if you give it the wrong command in the holodeck right should, should be able to say hmm you know it seems really weird that you know a, a maki ensign is creating this last ditch transport thing yeah so this is an interesting scene yeah, I was honest to my own conviction within the defined parameters of the mission. I've, I've always found it to just be a stupid writing trope that they got backed into in TOS, where it's like Vulcans have to be able to lie. Like there, there's just no reason logic would never would say never lie. I mean, there can be a cultural precept against lying, but the idea that it's treated on the level of a biological impossibility always annoyed the hell out of me. I will say I'm glad they're having this conversation given that like two of his closest associates on his ship were working for other people. So I'm glad they had this conversation. It rehabilitates Chakotay as a commander to a certain extent. <laughs> Tuvok's like, yeah, you know, you rely on feelings and instinct and they suck. But I do like that Tuvok can admit, admit yeah. that, you know, he was tricked by Seska, too. 
and that that's enough to make Shikate feel just a bit better. So overall, this is a pretty good Chakotay episode, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pro probably his best since Caretaker. Um, in fact, he hasn't really done a whole lot since Caretaker. Yeah. You know, it... So, the mystery was pretty decent. You know, it, it was interesting. But the episode has kind of an anticlimactic feel, wouldn't you agree? Well, it doesn't feel like... Given the the conversation we got at the end, it doesn't. I mean, on some level, I have issues with the problem Seska will continue to cause the crew. I think it's fairly stupid, and actually, and since it ends up requiring another Voyager conspirator, it's kind of silly. But on some level, it's like, well, that on some practical level, it's like, well, that's that. Then the Cardassian spy is now with the people she was helping and no longer has direct access to the material she was going to be giving them. We're going to change all of her command codes, and she was a ensign in the operations division, so it's not like she had the keys to the car anyway. It's kind of, on some level, like, we... But for the ridiculous plot with the baby and the all that, which I hated, there's nothing left Seska can really do other than what the Kazon could already do, which was harass them with their inferior technology. Do you, do you, yeah. get, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we... Like, Unlike other Cardassian spy plots, it's not like, like, she's actually done. There's nothing more helpful she can be, because she no longer has direct access to the things she was using to barter in the first place. Well, so, yeah, you know, that that's kind of anticlimactic in the larger sense. I'm talking about just in this episode. It's like, you know, you've built up this big mystery, and you have the reveal, and then she gets away. Right. You know, there's there's like no fight, there's no no explosions, no not even anything particularly dramatic. You know, it's like she bitch slaps Chakotay and says that you know he's lame and she yeah. shouldn't have fallen for him. You know, it it just feels like a to be continued dot dot dot. You know, um, kind of like a serial cliffhanger or something. Yeah, in which the villain gets away and. The, the heroes aren't really harmed and so in the end not a whole lot happened you know like well like you say you know it's like well you know the person who was the conspirator is now gone uh and so they're gonna have to as you say uh you know contort themselves into quite a few knots to try to get her back as a villain on the show um so and i i love her so i don't mind it i don't mind her presence i mind the the writing yeah but um well so I just, I feel like maybe, I think this episode would be better if they could not tell. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think the more the most interesting reveal would be exposing the Cardassian uh, spy on the ship, but have her not be the one responsible. Well, or what I'm saying is, like, they just can't tell who's responsible, you know? Yeah. And so what, what do they do? Do they demote her? Do they take her away from secure places? You know, like, or maybe they can't demote her. Maybe she's good at something that they really need her expertise on. You know, I don't know. Um, so, in the end, I do kind of think that this is a bit of a wasted story opportunity. Um, you know, making her the villain and taking her off the ship 
removes a lot of potential for drama, which, you know, the baby thing is, I guess, their attempt to which, ramp it back up. God, I um, higher plot. <laughs> so, as writing goes, I think it's an effective mystery that's pretty well developed, but then, at the end, it sort of takes a wrong turn. Um, I think the episode is entertaining, for the most part. I think the Kazan kind of suck, and they don't do anything here that doesn't really kind of suck, you know? It, yeah. It's like they they got fried by trying to jury-rig a replicator. Um, they weren't really threatening. It really bothers me that replicators have this capacity. A transporter, I could believe. I could believe you could accidentally beam yourself into the wall. I have a hard time believing asking for a cup of coffee is going to cause an explosion that will melt you into the wall. Well, uh, and I guess the problem was the shielding wasn't thick enough or something. <sighs> that makes me, like, I, every time I got a cup of coffee, like, is today the day? Is, 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 the, is the shielding going to fail? Is it going to crack? Oh, my God. And, and, like, little, it, it was just the wrong, they just picked the wrong word because it was meaningless that it was a replicator. Would it be less meaningful for a transporter? No, just little things. Little thing. Yeah. Um, the character stuff is good. I, I liked the interactions between Chakotay and, well, everyone. Uh, his interactions with Seska were, were good. His scene with Tuvok was good. Um, the his little, scene with Janeway. That's yeah, good. That's, that's good. Yeah. So all of that's good. I, I would say, on the balance, the writing is above average. I think it's average. You know, I think, um, you know, it's a reasonably well developed plot which kind of muffs it at the end. Yeah. And the character stuff has been solid from the beginning of the show, you know? That's true. It's like they, they've never really hit a bum note when two characters are talking, when two characters are, for lack of a better word, developing, you know, <laughs> with each other. You know, compared to a show like Lost, um, you know, in which characters talk to each other and then, like, for some reason stop before anything interesting is revealed because oh we can't do that until season three you know it's like it never feels that way on this show yeah it always feels it, it feels as though real people are talking to each other about real things and they're they're actually learning about each other and in the process so are we you know so um yeah I, i've never disliked the character interactions uh acting wise marth hackett Go, Kevin. Oh, yeah. Love her to bits. Like, I mean, I, yeah, my issues with the uh, idea they had a relationship um, are more just that they the writers came up with it out of nowhere rather than the, you know, character didn't sell. Because she sold, she sold, like, she sold everything she was supposed to sell and the layers of the thing she wasn't supposed to be. Like, you bought everything. It was either, you know, genuine uh, shock and innocence or a skillful deception and it all it all played out it was and just watching that scene again with with janeway in the in sick bay her transition to yes i am haha was great it wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't a light switch it was this like you could see she was letting go of the facade and it took a second to really click in and just cast her face like i really can't get over how great i think that is like face looked more Cardassian, even though it was not, in fact, more Cardassian yet. Like, that that's just thoughtful acting. Like, I, I, I get, maybe she 
found Andrew Robinson in the commissary at Paramount and was like, so wh- how do you act like a Cardassian? No, on the other hand, I, it, it was as if it was just the sort of negative characteristics of the Seska character that existed before this story. Yeah. Just, just a bit amplified. Yeah. You know, turned up, you know, two notches. Um, so yeah, great performance. Uh, you know, Robert Beltran was pretty good. Yeah. Not great, but good. Um, you know, there were some good Janeway moments for Kate Mulgrew. You know, we talked about her steely glare. Um, she definitely has that down. Oh yeah. Uh, and you know, there were some good moments with uh, Josh Clark as Carrie, with uh, Tim Russ as Tuvok. Uh, and I would say Roxanne Biggs Dawson had some good moments too. Estimate joke really landed. That that's one of those dicey jokes where it's either going to work perfectly or fail miserably, and it succeeded because she delivered it well. Well, I, you know, part of it might be that she probably doesn't understand the context of the joke, and so she's delivering it as a character line. Right. So it work. It works for her character. Yeah, yeah. There's no wink. You know? Right. Yes. Thank God. <laughs> if there were a wink, which is like, you know, I hate to do it, but I have to mention because those movies are nothing but you know sort of. Eh, eh. Did you get it? Did you get it? Um, you know, the Abrams movies, their sort of failed attempts at fan service are exactly that. They're sort of, you know, cheesy. Uh, you know, winking jokes that actually do a disservice to the story. Uh, that's not the case here. Um, you know, uh, there really were no bum notes. Uh, you know, Maj Kala, uh, what's his name again? Uh, Tony. Anthony DeLongas. Yeah. You know, he was serviceable. Certainly wasn't bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the writing. He He's playing a thug. Thugs are boring. Yeah. Like, um, like well, if, they don't if, have to be. But I mean, if the, if if we got like the Kazon Tony Soprano, yes, that would probably be interesting. But we 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 got the Kazon, I don't know who is. I, I don't have another context here, but you know, you know what I'm saying. It's just like you you can do it. They just didn't. Well, the the writers when they were doing the Kazon and they got this story bible thing about them being, you know, rival gangs or whatever. It's like. Well, have some posturing. Have some, you know, some of the tropes of gang storytelling. Well, I mean, and if you want to get technical, I mean, you know what else was basically a bunch of gangs? European royalty for several hundred years. Like the, the way they, like the factions of the families and the houses and the royal houses like that. that you could categorize that as gang warfare. It was very stylized. You can, like, technically the Montagues and Capulets were a bunch of gangs. Then there was plenty of drama there. You can... You can do it. It just, I I think they used gang as a shortcut for that's why they're always hostile, as opposed to something more complicated and nuanced. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, production value wise, um, we did get to see some Kazon ships. Uh, those effects were just so so. Um, I don't like the Kazon ship. I never did. Yeah, I'm with you. I, it's kind of boring. Yeah. Um, the set the on the ship was pretty good. Melted cake on worked good and Yeah, that was a nice effect. Yeah. Um 
And also, I, I did like the location work in Branson Canyon. Yeah. Um, you know, and I thought the Leola roots looked pretty decent. Uh, yeah, the apples you know, were probably apples. Chicote's quarters were, you know, done reasonably well. Um, yeah, you know, so it's at least average. Uh, to me, this is a three. Um, I think there's a lot of good stuff here. But I think all the good stuff is just kind of blunted a bit by the the, the conclusion. Just sort it's the story sort of dissipates <laughs> in, in in a transporter beam, literally. It just yeah, it just like it kind of flits away from my mind in an evanescence. You know, it's just like ah, did something just happen? You know, maybe well, it's like I don't know. The episode has a real energy, and things I tend to like about the. Cardassian machination episodes. Um, it has it right up until the moment she escapes by fiat. After that moment, you're right. It kind of, it's like it's like you let the air out of the balloon. It just kind of the episode just deflates a little. So, if they had managed to keep that tone and energy going for the last like five minutes of the episode, I probably would have given given this a four, because like I'm like Martha Mar- Martha Hackett's performance almost gets this to a four. But I, I guess I think I have to agree with you. I think this is a three. Yeah, not a bad episode. No, no, probably, not by any stretch. Yeah, probably the the best Kazan focused episode. Um, you know, I mean, Caretaker is better, but that's not really a Kazan episode. Right. You know, it's it's a Caretaker episode. Um, you know, this may be the best Seska episode too. Uh, yeah, the writing never serves her character as well again. She's two dimensionally evil. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, but as it stands, you know, I think it, it just, it just, yeah, falls a little flat at the end. It's sort of a disappointing conclusion. Um, so you know, but three, that's a good show. No, oh, yeah. you know, if I watch this on TV, I'm like, yeah, I want to tune in next week. You know, I like this show. Um, and I, I think what was also missing that really could have elevated this was much like last week's episode um, with the, the crew betraying them to, you know, get the, the transporter device. There's an element of not everyone, even if they may have initially gone along with it because Janeway's the captain, they're not sticking to that plan of following her blindly because they might now resent her. You know, it's one thing to at the start of your noble voyage be all noble several months tediously into it, I could see some cracks starting to form. And I think as much as I, as much as I think the lack of really resolving the Starfleet Maquis tension was a whiff on the show, I think this is another one where it's like, there should be a real threat to Janeway's authority because of increasing resentment, the longer they're away from home. And that's, that could be an interesting plot. Yeah, I agree. Uh, All right. Well, so state of flux gets a six from the both of us. I think it's, a fair score, you know, solid, stoutly average show with uh, very good things, but also eh, stuff dragging it down. Um, you know, we're going to have a lot of Kazan shows to criticize going forward, so we should definitely, uh, you know, like, Enjoy the maybe it's not. Maybe it's not that interesting, but, you know, I really want to know why the Kazan sucks so much and how much it really damages Voyager as a show. Um, 
because I know I still love Voyager. So there, there, there's something about it for me where, I, you know, I must be able to say, oh, it gets better. They're going to be done with the Kazon soon. You know, to me, maybe it's the characters for me. You know, the characters always do well, regardless of how lame the villain is. Um, you know, we'll see. Yeah. All right, so that's a six. Perfectly respectable score, and we do love Martha Hackett here, so there's that. Um, uh, next podcast, and uh, have a good night. Yep, live long and prosper.